Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. Well, back in September of... Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Back in September of 2022, we began this journey through the New Testament Gospel of John. And every week and every month and every sermon... And every verse and every chapter has been leading us to this particular moment. In fact, I would suggest that the events of John chapters 19 and 20 are the focus that the entire Bible leans into, that the entire Bible looks to. I could even take that a step further. The events described in John chapter 19 and 20 are the centerpiece of all of human history. So let's jump in. John chapter 19, starting at verse... 16, remember, the Jews, the religious Jews, are chanting to Pilate, crucify him, crucify Jesus. Pilate caved in to their demand. He turned him over to be crucified. They took Jesus away, carrying his cross. Jesus went out to the place called Skull Hill. The name in Hebrew is Golgotha, where they crucified him and with him two others, one on each side. Jesus in the middle. Pilate wrote a sign and had it placed on the cross. It read, Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the sign because the place where Jesus was crucified was right next to the city. It was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. The Jewish high priest objected. Don't write, they said to Pilate, the king of the Jews. Make it. This man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate said, what I've written, I've written. When they crucified him, the Roman soldiers took his clothes and divided them out four ways to each soldier a fourth. But his robe was seamless, a single piece of weaving. So they said to each other, let's not tear it up. Let's throw dice to see who gets it. This confirmed the scripture that said, they divided up my clothes among them and threw dice for my coat. The soldiers validated the scriptures. While the soldiers were looking after themselves, Jesus' mother, his aunt, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene stood at the foot of the cross. Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing near her. He said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then to the disciple, here is your mother. From that moment, the disciple accepted her as his own mom. Jesus, seeing that everything had been completed so that the scripture record might also be complete, then said, I'm thirsty. A jug of sour wine was standing by. Someone put a sponge soaked with the wine on a javelin and lifted it to his mouth. After he took the wine, Jesus said, It is finished. Bowing his head, he offered up his spirit. For over a year now, we've been on this journey through John. We've got four weeks left. And as I look towards the conclusion of this journey, there's sadness that comes with it for me. It'll be like saying goodbye to an old and trusted friend. I spent some time this week actually going over the journey, looking back. And I remember a particular moment last summer, I had some friends come to me and they said, Mike, you gotta make sure you get some rest from time to time. You gotta make sure that you take some weeks off from speaking. You gotta look after yourself, you know? And so I was looking ahead at the journey through John. I was trying to pick some weeks that would be really good to bring in a guest speaker. And one of the weeks I picked was John chapter three. I thought, what a great week to bring in a guest speaker. John chapter three is this incredible discussion that Jesus has with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. 
And Jesus says to Nicodemus, hey, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And then Jesus goes on to say, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Probably the most famous verse in the Bible. You know, John 3, 16, I thought, man, it practically preaches itself. So I'll give that to a guest speaker. So we, uh, we booked a guest speaker, and then that guest speaker backed out. We booked another guest speaker, and then that guest speaker backed out. We booked a third guest speaker, and then that third guest speaker also backed out. And what he said to me was, Mike, at first it sounds great to preach John 3, 16, but then you start to feel the pressure. And so I preached it, and I'm really glad that I did. But I got to tell you, in the back of my head, I kind of judged those three guest speakers. I did. You guys are kind of soft. You know what I mean? Like, you can't preach John 3.16. You got to be kidding me right now. Like, next time I ask you to preach, I'm going to ask you to preach on the goat, the goat in Leviticus. Or tithing. How about that? I'll give you tithing. Or maybe erotic imagery in the Song of Solomon in the Old Testament of the Bible. You didn't know that was in the Bible, did you? It, it, it's funny. I was thinking about it this morning. So many preachers just wish that they could increase Bible reading in their congregations. I just did that with one simple joke. <laughs> Bible reading at Southside is going to go up 700% this afternoon. That's my <laughs> prediction. But then I got to this week. <clears throat> and I started to feel the weight. I mean, this is it, right? I built my life on this. We've built our church on this. You look around the world today, you see a lot of turmoil. Economic turmoil, political turmoil, military turmoil. And I think there's something that we all kind of innately know. You can't really fix the turmoil out here until you fix the turmoil in here. And the events that we're discussing today, they're not just an answer to the turmoil in here. They're the answer. See, until I can find peace out here, we're never going to be able to build peace out there. Until I can find hope in here, we're never going to be able to bring hope out there. So as this week went on, I kept thinking the same thing over and over again. Man, I got to do this story justice. I got to do it justice. I got to do it justice. I got to do it justice. And I felt God speak to me at one point. He said, that's not your job, Mike. You don't need to do it justice. What you need to do instead is you need to get out of the way and let Jesus speak. Because Jesus Christ on the cross is justice. You don't need to do it justice. He is justice. He is love. He is mercy. He is grace. And so that's what I aim to do today. Growing up in Red Deer, Alberta, there was an old gospel song I would hear from time to time. I'm going to use it to frame our discussion today. The name of that old gospel song is The Old Rugged Cross. As we walk through that song today, my prayer for you, if you've been in church your entire life, my prayer for you is that John's prayer would be answered. See, John was inspired by God to write this gospel so that we would know what Jesus said and what Jesus did, but deeper, that we would know who Jesus is, and deeper yet, that we would know Jesus. And my prayer for you, if if you've been in church your whole life, is that you would come to know him better today. That your faith would be renewed, that your hope would be renewed, that your gratitude would be renewed today.
And if you're watching online or you're here in person and this is your first time or your second time and you're still kind of, you got some questions about the whole Jesus thing, you know? You're not so sure. I'm gonna tell you my prayer for you is that Jesus would step out of the pages of history and introduce himself to you today. Because maybe you would say to me today, man, I don't know Jesus, he knows you. You might say, well, I don't believe in Jesus, he believes in you. So much so that I believe it's his idea that we would be here together in this spectacular moment. You say, well, I don't even love Jesus. I'll tell you one thing for sure. He loves you. He loves you. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. On a hill far away, Jesus died. That hill was called Golgotha. The, the Latin translation is actually Calvary. Calvary, the place of the skull. See, Romans always crucified people on hills. The reason why is when the Romans crucified somebody, it wasn't just an execution. It was a warning. It was a deterrent. It was as if they were saying, this is what happens when you mess with the Roman Empire. So they made sure to do it on a hill so it was very visible. It's an emblem of suffering. People who died on the cross almost always died of asphyxiation. And the reason why is as you hung there on the cross, you could not expand your ribcage to take a breath. And so the only way that people could breathe on the cross was to push off of the nail that was nailed through their feet and into the cross. Extreme pain as they pushed off, expanded their rib cage, and took one more breath. They struggled and struggled and struggled to breathe until they could struggle no more. Sometimes it took up to nine days. It didn't take Jesus nearly that long. As George talked about last week, Jesus was beat nearly to death by Roman soldiers. He, he was whipped so severely, in fact, that historians suggest that the flesh on Jesus' back would have been hanging there like ribbons. He was forced to carry the cross beam of his crucifixion for miles through the city of Jerusalem. His hands would have been tied to that cross beam. And the Bible says that at one point, because he's so weak from loss of blood, he actually stumbled and he fell. And of course, because his hands were tied to the cross beam, he would not have been able to brace himself. So with the weight of the 150-pound crossbeam driving him to the cobblestones, it would have been like a head-on collision. Jesus was so weakened at that point that the Roman soldiers did something that they very seldom would ever have done. They allowed somebody else to pick up Jesus' cross and carry it the rest of the way to Calvary. An African man by the name of Simon from Cyrene picked up the cross and carried it the rest of the way. See, the soldiers knew that Jesus wasn't gonna make it. He was gonna die before they got him there and they would have got in a lot of trouble from their superiors. So Simon carried the cross the rest of the way. It's an emblem of shame. People who were crucified were crucified naked. Almost invariably, they lost control of all their bodily functions. Contrary to maybe images that you've seen of crucifixions, People weren't crucified way up high, they were crucified at eye level. The Romans wanted to make sure that you could see the people and look in their faces as they suffered. 
but history tells, tells us that few did. It, it, it said that the pain and the trauma and the suffering of someone being crucified was so horrifying that few could look upon their faces. Women were almost never crucified. But if they were, they were crucified facing the cross. Because no matter what they had done, it was considered improper for anyone to look at a woman suffering to that degree. Why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus have to die that way? The, the last line of that first verse says this, for a world of lost sinners. For a world of lost sinners, Jesus died. What does that mean, lost sinners? What have we lost? To put it very simply, I would suggest that what we've lost is life. In the beginning, God spoke the universe into existence. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be life, and there was life. In fact, God breathed the breath of life into the first man, Adam. He created the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, in his own image. So in that sense, God is life. He's the author, the sustainer, the provider of life. So the life that you and I were meant to experience happens on three levels. Level one is life in the body. This is the way it was supposed to be. My body was never supposed to wear out. Your body was never supposed to wear out. Our heart was supposed to keep beating. Our lungs were supposed to keep breathing. Our muscles were supposed to keep moving. But somewhere along the line, that's been lost. You and I were meant to experience life not only on the body level, but also on the soul level. And the soul means your mind and your will and your emotions. Our mind was supposed to have clarity and wisdom. Our will was supposed to be strong. You know what I mean? Like when I wanna do something, I do it. When I don't wanna do it, I don't do it. That's the way that it was intended to be. Our emotions were meant to be hope and joy and peace and courage. And yet something's been lost. You and I were meant to experience life on three levels, body, soul, and spirit. Spirit. Your spirit is you, the youest version of you, the deepest part of you, the essence of you, deeper than your mind and your muscles, deeper than your brain and your body is you, your spirit. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10 describes spiritual you. You are God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece created by Christ Jesus to do great things. It, it, it's the spirit level of us that's meant to commune, meant to connect directly with God. God who is life, God who is the source of all life, but something's been lost, something's been broken. See, if you go way back to the beginning, that first man and that first woman, Adam and Eve, they walked away from God. They broke that connection. And when you walk away from God, God is life. When you walk away from life, you walk into death. You walk into death. And the truth is, everybody here today, everybody watching online today, we're all great, 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 great,
of Adam and Eve, and so we were born with that same sin condition. Here's how it works. I'm a sinner. I'm imperfect. I'm not completely holy. God is sinless. God is perfect, God is holy. He can't relate to imperfection. He can't relate to sin. He can't have that relationship. That relationship has been broken. That's why Jesus came, for a world of lost sinners. It's amazing when you think about all the people gathered there around the cross that day. Men and women, young and old, rich and poor, Jews and Gentiles, mourners and mockers, Sinners and so-called saints, Jesus died for them all. Jesus dies for us all. The song continues. Oh, that old rugged cross so despised by the world has a wondrous attraction for me. For the dear Lamb of God left his glory above to bear it to dark Calvary. The cross is despised by the world. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Don't you think it's a strange symbol of our faith? that the symbol of our faith would be an instrument of execution, that the, the symbol of our faith would be an emblem of suffering and shame. See, the truth is, if you go back through history, there's all kind of philosophies, all kind of religions that believe in the historical accuracy of Jesus. They just can't resolve the cross. They can't that the Son of God would endure this. They can't compute it. They won't compute it. So why did Jesus have to endure what he endured? I want to talk to you about the nature of a rescue. The nature of a rescue is this. If I want to rescue you, I have to come where you are. Let's talk about the nature of a battle. If I want to defeat someone or something, I have to face them. So let's go back to the life that you and I were meant to live on three levels, body. Here's how it was meant to be. We were meant to live forever. Heart keeps pumping, lungs keep breathing, muscles keep moving, but that's been lost. It's amazing. Jesus left his throne in heaven, his glory in heaven, his perfection in heaven, his majesty in heaven. And how did he step into human history? We're gonna celebrate it a couple months from now. I can't believe Christmas is coming again, but here it comes. How did he enter into human history? As a little baby. In a manger, in a stable, in a little backwoods town called Bethlehem. So fragile, so frail, just like you and me. From the moment that we take our first breath, Every breath that we take, every step that we take, every move moves us closer to physical death. Jesus endured the frailty. His body was broken on the cross. His blood was shed on the cross. Jesus actually died. His heart stopped beating. His lungs stopped breathing. Why? Listen, he faced what we face so that he could restore what we've lost. You want to understand the cross? Remember this. He faced what you face so that he could restore what you've lost. Everything that we go through. And the Bible teaches us that 
Jesus died, but on the third day he rose again. And, and, and when he stepped out of that tomb, he had a new resurrection body. And the Bible calls him the firstborn of the dead, the first of many. In other words, here's what I know. I believe in Jesus, and so I know this, that one day my body's gonna wear out. Some days it feels like it's wearing out really, really fast, okay? But one day it's gonna wear out. This heart is gonna stop beating. These lungs are gonna stop breathing. These muscles are gonna stop moving. And I'm gonna step into eternity, and I'm gonna get a new resurrection body. I'm gonna have like a 52-inch vertical. I'm gonna be unreal at golf. I can tell you that right now. That's the plan. He faced what we face so that he could restore what we've lost. Life on three levels. First, the body, then the soul. I told you already, the way that our mind and our will and our emotions were supposed to work isn't the way that they always work. We're supposed to have clarity and wisdom, but yet often I find myself in confusion. My will is supposed to be rock solid, man. I do what I want to do, and I don't do what I don't want to do. But sometimes I find myself doing the stuff that I don't want to do and not doing the stuff that I want to do. Emotionally speaking, what I'm supposed to experience, what we're supposed to experience is just, you know, courage, hope, joy, and peace. And yet we don't always find those things. Something's been lost, you know, because sometimes we feel... Fearful, discouraged, anxiety, and even depression. You know, the night, that, the night before Jesus actually was crucified, he spent some time at this garden called the Garden of Gethsemane. I think about that story a lot because Jesus was there to pray. He was there to talk to his heavenly father because he knew everything that was coming. And Jesus brings a few of his best friends along with him to the garden. He says, hey, can you guys do me a big favor? I'm praying. There's some big stuff coming up, and I'm concerned about it, and I'm going to pray. Can you just keep watch for me? And his best friends fall asleep. And he goes back. He's like, I, I, I need you to keep watch. And they keep falling asleep. And, and it's sort of funny that these wingnuts keep falling asleep, but I wonder how discouraging must that have been? And then Jesus is praying to his father. And basically, the prayer that Jesus prays the night before he's crucified in the Garden of Gethsemane is this prayer, God, if there's any other way, if there's any other way to get this done, if there's any other way to restore what's been lost, if there's any other way besides the cross, can we do that instead? Jesus was praying to the degree that he sweat, and, and, and the Bible says that he actually sweat drops of blood, which is a condition which occurs when you were experiencing extreme, extreme anxiety. Some doctors today would refer to it as a panic attack. Why did Jesus endure all that? He endured it all because he knew he needed to face what we face so he could restore what we've lost. See, what Jesus promises you and me is that even in this broken world, even with so much being lost, he can give us something called peace. Peace even that passes understanding. So even when the world out there is full of turmoil and chaos, and when isn't it? In here we can find peace. He gives us something called an abiding joy. An abiding joy, a joy that lasts, even when the circumstances don't necessarily warrant it. Life on three levels, body, soul, and spirit. I was meant to live in perfect connection with God. 
that connection was broken, and, and you see it on the cross. And in fact, the last line of the passage that I read today says this, Jesus bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. So now Jesus' spirit was separate from his body and his soul. That's death. There's been millions and millions of pages written on what in the world did Jesus do between the time that he died on the cross and the time they rose again. And I could preach for the rest of my life and not cover every one of the theories, but I'm just gonna summarize it as best I can. What Jesus did between the time that he died on that cross and the time that he rose again is he ripped the gates off death. And when he kicked the door out of that borrowed tomb and when he walked out, here's what it means. What it means is, well, he said it to Nicodemus back in John chapter three. He said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. That when I call out to Jesus now, I can be spiritually born again. That disconnection is gone. Jesus removes all my sin, all my shame, all my imperfection, all my unholiness. I can be in perfect, life-giving relationship with God once again. He faced what we face so that he could restore what we've lost. It's the centerpiece of human history. In the years leading up to the cross, there were thousands and thousands of prophecies written often centuries before the crucifixion. Prophecies made about not only the crucifixion, but the man who would die on that cross. The prophecy said that Jesus would be born of a virgin, that he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would die between two criminals, that he would be placed in a rich man's tomb, that he would rise again. Psalm 22, chapter, 16, or Psalm chapter 22, verse 16 actually says this, that Jesus' hands and feet would be pierced, which makes perfect sense, doesn't it, if you understand crucifixion? However, Psalm 22, verse 16, that prophecy was written 200 years before the Persians invented crucifixion. See, all of history, all of history leaned in, leaned towards this moment at the cross. And the purpose now is that we would all look back with this sense of gratitude and faith and hope. He faced what we face so he could restore what we've lost. And that old Rugged cross stained with blood so divine, a wondrous beauty I see. For it was on that old cross Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify me. At one point, Jesus asked for a drink. They gave him a drink, and I'm pretty convinced that he got that drink because in his weakened state, he just wanted to make sure that what he said next was very, very clear. And Jesus spoke the, maybe the three most important words ever spoken. He said this, it's is finished. In other words, everything that needed to be accomplished has been accomplished. Everything needed for me to be forgiven, for me to be free, for us to be alive, fully, completely, totally, eternally alive has been achieved. And Jesus wanted to make sure that you and I knew that. There's something that we say around here once in a while, we say, you don't got to, you get to. Ever heard that before? You don't got to, you get to. You don't got to, you get to. It's based on these three words. So let me be very clear. It doesn't matter who you are, or where you've been, or what you've done. Jesus did it all. You place your faith in Jesus, you are saved. You are alive, fully, completely, eternally alive. Now, 
you don't got to, you get to. So you place your faith in Jesus, here's how it works. One day you're gonna step into eternity, eternal life, right? But there's this time period, right? There's this time period between right now and eternity. What do we call that? The rest of your life, yeah, yeah, life. Thank you, mom. I'm glad my mom came here to answer my... uh... So now you don't got to, you get to. So Jesus says, I've done it all. Your eternal life is secure. And now what I want to do is I want to suggest, Jesus says, why don't we start now? Why, why, Why don't we start amazing right now? Why settle for average right now? Why not step into this savior who invites us to eternal life, invites us into an amazing life that can start right now. And that's when we say, you don't got to, you get to. You don't got to. So you don't got to be kind. You don't. You don't. You can be the biggest jerk in the world. If you put your faith in Jesus, you're going to heaven one day. Really. You don't got to be kind. But you get to. You get to. Do you understand? Because Jesus says, I have something amazing for you. It's an invitation You can accept it or not. You can choose average, you can choose ordinary, or you can choose amazing. That's up to you. right? You don't got to forgive those who have hurt you. That's so hard. You don't got to forgive those who have hurt you. You don't. But Jesus says you get to. You get to. You start to forgive those who have hurt you. As difficult as it is, you trust Jesus that much to forgive those who have hurt you. Here's what happens. You step into amazing. You step out of ordinary, but you don't got to. You get to. You don't got to be generous. You get to be generous. So Dave's up here a few minutes ago and he's saying, we're doing this thing called All Is Bright. And he's not sure how much we're going to commit this year. Last year it was 250000 And he says, in the weeks to come, we're going to tell you how much we're going to commit. I thought I would just fast forward the process. It's going to be about 350000 this year, which is crazy, right? Okay. Because we're 40% bigger. And, and, and here's what I suggest. Jesus says, hey, uh, re- read this. Read this. And then tell me, I want to be generous. You know what I mean? Like we're just following his footsteps. We, we live this life of ge- generosity. You don't got to though. You get to. So, so here's, the, here's our goal for everything <clears throat> such as all is bright. It's 100% commitment. So if you're watching online, if you're here in person right now, I, I, I prayer, my prayer, our goal is this, that everybody would jump in. Everybody would jump in. But, let me say it again, you don't got to. You know, you can, you can set, in our lives, we can settle for average. You don't got to, but you get to step into amazing. You have this baptism coming up next week. You don't got to get baptized. You get to. Baptism is this amazing thing. Jesus says, believe and be baptized. Believe and be baptized. But you don't got to. You don't need to be baptized to have eternal life. You just get to. You come to this point in your life where you say, man, Jesus, I actually believe in you. Like, I I actually believe that you're inviting me into something amazing. So baptism is this amazing thing. Like, you you, kind of go under the water, right? Like, they put you under the water, and depending on what kind of life you've lived, like, they hold you under for, like, I was under for seven and a half minutes. (laughs) which probably explains a lot of my speaking, actually, now that I think about it. 
I, I wasn't. And, and, and did I, I, that's not true. None of that was true. Except the part, you go under the water and you, and you go up. And why would you do that? Oh, Jesus says what you do, it's, it's this act of humility. You say, Jesus, I love you, I trust you. I just want to step into amazing. And I don't want to wait. You don't got to, though, you get to. To that old rugged cross, I will ever be true. It's shame and reproach gladly bear. Then he'll call me someday to my home far away where his glory forever I'll share. I think about that word home, home, home. I've heard people say before that when you and I step into eternity, we're gonna realize that we spend our whole lives homesick for a place we've never been yet. Home. So when Jesus stepped into human history, he was fully divine, but he was also fully human, so he had a mom. His mom's name was Mary. And she was there the day that Jesus got crucified. And I think about Mary at the cross a lot. As Jesus grew up as a little boy, I can imagine her remembering the times that she held his little hand as he learned to walk. Or the times in that culture that she would have washed his feet before she tucked him into bed. And now she's standing there and watching those hands that she held and those feet that she washed nailed to a Roman cross. Mary's husband, Joseph, was already dead. And so Jesus being her oldest son, to some degree now she was all alone. And I told you this before, but I wanna tell you again. John wrote this gospel so that we would know Jesus. You wanna know about the kindness of Jesus? Then don't miss this. As Jesus hangs there on that cross, experiencing the most painful death imaginable, he takes a moment and he looks at his disciple John and he says this, hey John, can you look after my mom? It's who he is. In fact, I'll take that a step further for you. Later on in the New Testament of the Bible, in Hebrews chapter 12, we read this, that Jesus endured the cross. Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. What in the world was the joy that was set before Jesus at the cross? You. You are. You're the joy set before him. Forgiven you. Free you, fully, completely, eternally alive you. You're the joy set before him. He endured the cross for you. So I'll cherish that old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. Think all the trophies that I've carried around in my life, you know, all the little things that I try to find validation and worth with. Maybe you can relate. What are the the things that we use to validate ourselves? Can be anything, right? The clothes that we wear, the car that you drive, the house where you live, the success that you've had, the victories that you've earned, the friends that you have, whatever it is. And that's all fine, right? But there's this picture when you and I stand face to face with Jesus, we're gonna be carrying this arm load of trophies, and we're going to see him, and it's going to be like this. (laughs) And we're going to be able to relate to John, the author of this gospel, 
when we say this, the only thing that you need to know about me, the only thing that you need to know about my worth and that would validate me is this, I'm the one, I'm the one Jesus loves. That's it, that's my crown. It's so powerfully illustrated, isn't it? By the fact that Jesus is crucified between two criminals. That, that he would die the same way that he lived his life, right in the middle of a sinner's like me. In the Gospel of Mark, <clears throat> chapter 15, we read that these two criminals were heaping insults on Jesus. So one on each side of him, just, <clears throat> just heaping insults on him. Until finally one of them says this, hey, if you're the Christ, why don't you save yourself and save us at the same time? And for whatever reason, the criminal on the other side has a change of heart, and he looks at the first criminal, and he says, yo, we deserve to be here. The Bible calls them criminals. There's other translations that use the word thieves, but basically these guys are murderers who kill people and then take their money. So he looks over at the, at the, at the first criminal, and he says, yo, we deserve to be here. This guy's done nothing wrong. And then he looks at Jesus, and he says, Jesus, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Today you'll be with me in paradise. A few months ago I heard a preacher speculate on what that moment must have been like when that guy stepped into eternity, that criminal, you know? He steps into eternity, he steps into heaven, and maybe an angel comes walking up and says, yo, what are you doing here? You know? And the criminal's like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, what do you mean you don't know? I don't know. Okay, okay. Are you part of a church? No. Have you been baptized? No. Uh, are you in a small group? <laughs> no. Okay, okay. Do you understand the doctrine of justification by faith? The what? No. Do you understand sanctification? No. Okay, do you understand the inerrancy of scripture? No. So finally this angel just gets exasperated, right? It's like, what do you know, man? Like, I'm trying to figure out what you're doing here. I'm asking you all these questions, and it's like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And I just want to know why you're here. Do you know anything? And the criminal says, well, I do know one thing. Well, what do you know? I know this. The man on the middle cross, he said I could come. Why don't you stay seated as Cole sings and I'll be right back.
bow your heads and close your eyes just as we close. It's amazing when you think about it, isn't it? <laughs> that, that criminal, the life that he has led, up to no good for you know, his entire life, keeping insults on Jesus, and one moment, one question changed everything, changed forever. And I guess I wanted to just say to you that it really doesn't matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done, Jesus loves you. Everything that needed to be done for life, real and eternal life that starts now and stretches into forever, Jesus has already accomplished on the cross. Through his death and resurrection, it's all been done. The next move is yours. So if today is the day that you wanna take hold and you wanna accept that gift that Jesus purchased for you in the cross with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, I wanna ask you right now just to raise your hand up nice and high, please. If you're watching online and today is your moment, I ask if it's safe to do so, if you could raise your hand also. There's something powerful about that outward expression. It's amazing. If your hands are up, you can put them down and I'm just gonna pray out loud and invite those who raise their hands to pray silently along with me. So Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you. That doesn't even do it justice. Thank you for the cross.
Thank you that you faced what we face so you could restore what we lost. So Jesus, I come to you right now and I ask you to be my savior. I just pray for a clean slate. I hand you my past, my sin, my shame, whatever, and I move on. I thank you that you died for me. I thank you that you rose again for me. Give me the strength to follow you one next step at a time into the life that I was created to live. And God, now for the rest of us, those who have known you for years and years and years and years and years, or maybe just a couple weeks, whatever it is, God, we come to you right now and we ask you for faith. Thank you that our eternity is secure. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I just pray that you would give us the faith to consistently step into amazing and everything that you've called us to be. We thank you. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.